0: Well...
1: Welcome to the world of the western
2: esoteric tradition.
3: listeners. Welcome to the second episode of Season 2 of Thoth Hermes, a podcast about all things related to the Western esoteric tradition. This show has been released for you on December 10, 2017. My name is Rudolf, I am your host and I am very happy to welcome you back. Please visit also our website which you can find on www.thorcehermes.com That is T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S dot com. There you can find the show notes and all the reviews, news articles etc. of this and all previous editions. And you can of course also find all the sound files of the former editions. So, if you are new to Thought Hermes and you will like it, check out what else is to be found there. You can listen to Thought Hermes podcast either directly from the website, but also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blueberry, Spreaker, Android, and many other podcast services who have chosen to present our program on their sites. In this episode, our featured guest, with whom you will hear an extensive interview today, is German esotericist and author Frater Acker. I am especially happy to have him here, not only because he has a lot of interesting things to say, but also because I believe this is the first time he has agreed to do a lengthy interview on a podcast and that makes me a bit proud. I'm sure you will enjoy his insight. Also, as promised last time, the news and the reviews sections are back. So, after the interview, you will hear a couple of news items and a book review. The music I chose for this show is more from the calmer and pagan side. I thought this would be appropriate for this darker time of the year.
1: And now, some feedback.
3: Also this time, I would like to thank you for the feedback that I get from you from time to time. I would not complain if you sent me more messages and ideas, but I am grateful to those who do. Especially, I would like to ask you to send me your input about features, interviews and topics that you would like to see covered on upcoming shows. Please do not forget that I am also working on improvements for the Thoth Hermes website. So, if there is anything that you would like to see implemented there, let me know. I will do my best to see how I can fulfill your wishes. I am hoping to use the Christmas and New Year holiday time to do a lot of work there. So now is the moment to let me know. How can you give me feedback? Well. There are several ways to do so. Either you go on the website and there to the contact page where you can use the form to send me your comment. Also on the website you find the possibility to send a free voice message to me. Just click on the respective tab on the right of the screen on any page of the website. If you prefer you can also find me on Facebook or Twitter. Just enter Thoth Hermes for your search or click on the respective icons on the webpage. And then there is of course also good old email. Info at thorthermes.com is the one to reach out to me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you all. Today, I also have two special requests to you. As you probably know, I also try to introduce musicians and visual artists on the podcast and the website. I admit that I would like to do a bit more of that in the future, so I am calling out to all of you who do artistic work to get in touch and present their work to me. By playing your music and or presenting your paintings, sculptures and other artwork on the website and speaking about it here, you make sure that your work can be acknowledged by the ever-growing community of the Thoth Hermes audience. And this is what we all artists need, don't we? So get out of your cave and write to me. Secondly, I would like to remind you that Winter Solstice is approaching very fast, dear friends and listeners, and that I'm waiting for your contributions for the special I'm going to launch that day. So, don't let me down. Don't let the Christmas stress be an excuse. Let me have your ideas, texts, music and recordings for that show. Our saw in edition was a great success, it looks like the listeners really liked it and I would like to hope the same for this coming one. Okay now, before we go and meet our guest Frater Acker, let's play the first piece of music for today. I am presenting to you Sir Nunnest Rising and his piece Witches three.
1: I sit beneath the witch's tree The elder mother talks to me I journey to the other side Her fragrance takes me there Old lady standing wise In bed midsummer's night I breathe your scent The other world's so near so far So will you lift the veil I sleep beneath the witch's tree Dancing in a ring. Old girl, give up thy sacred...
3: rising, interpreting Witch's tree. I really like his music, the Celtic archaic touch. As always, please go to the show notes on the website to find more information about the music and links to the pages where you can find more of it.
4: Here comes the interview.
3: Frater Aker was on my wishlist for guests on this podcast for quite some time. I discovered his work, at first, through his beautiful website theomagica.com, where you can find his blog and many other texts by him. He is also one of the highlights on Facebook. When he posts something there, you usually won't regret the read or following the link. Lately, he has published a book called Cyprian of Antioch, which is an excellent text about the Christian saint, also called Cyprian the Mage. But before we talk about this book in the second part of the interview, after the usual break which will occur after approximately 30 minutes, Frater Acker is talking to us about how it all began for him, about his youth, his magical training, etc. We also speak about the Correa Magical School by his good friend Josephine McCarthy. Frater Acker was born in northern Germany and now lives in the south of his country, so enjoy both our little Germanic accents. And welcome with me our guest Frater Acker. It is a great pleasure to welcome on Thought Hermes podcast today Frater Acker, Frater Acker who many people who are regular listeners to Thought Hermes already know, I'm sure through his wonderful website theomagica.com. And of course now, and that is kind of the occasion of why we speak today. And I'm very happy he has accepted to do so about a new book that has just appeared a few weeks ago on Cyprian of Antioch, subtitled "A Mage of Many Faces." Welcome, Frater Acker, to Thought Hermes podcast.
5: Thank you, Rudolf. Lovely to be with you. Really appreciated.
3: Thank you. As we just said when we were introducing two Germans speaking English to each other, so you will all be allowed to have a little smile about our little accents. Exactly. Um, Aker, we haven't heard you on many podcasts so far, and I'm I'm also a bit proud that you have accepted and thank you very much for that. And therefore it would be nice maybe that you explain a bit to our listeners what Magic or what spirituality or whatever you would name it means to you how it came into your life and how you live it in your day-to-day life what it is to you today
5: mm, well, that's a that's a broad question let me try to tackle well, it and take your time <laughs> you, you, you keep you keep me on track um, sure. I don't have a standard definition necessarily what what magic means to me and I think Looking back, I mean, they say you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And I think that's certainly true when we look at our own biographies. I've probably always been involved in magic and then only later on found out that it was actually magic. But to give you a bit more of a specific maybe background... Obviously, I grew up in in Germany, in the north of Germany originally, and I would say for the first uh, 10 years of my life, I had absolutely no interest in the real world. And I guess like like quite a few children uh, probably lived uh, in my own imaginary world, which today I would call a magical world. But, you know, hey, what do we know? when we're young, yeah. I grew up in an incredibly strict uh, household. Uh, I mean, think of uh, German stereotypes uh, of discipline and order and and things uh, that wasn't necessarily easy at the time. I mm. think it equipped me with a few life skills that have helped me tremendously ever since. Probably the, the best example was when When I relocated or when we as a family relocated from the north of Germany to the south, I switched school, obviously, and the the school systems are very different. So suddenly I had a big gap of knowledge and and it was hard to blend into the uh, southern Germany school system. So I was about 13 at the time. And I remember for probably two years, three years, I don't know, I needed to do quite a lot of homework to get through all that work and catch up uh, and that basically meant that I need to sit down at my desk after school for you know three to four hours and just crank on you know whatever it was Latin mathematics etc uh, and I certainly didn't do that voluntarily but my parents helped me accountable on bringing home certain grades once I had kind of gotten through that and and the grades had recovered I think I just continued to sit at that desk in the after hours after school and instead of going Going through Latin or physics or whatever it was, I just began to go through magical books. At that time, I then probably was about 15 or so, and I worked my way through, you know, Eliphas Levi's works, and some of Crowley's works. I think one of the most important books that I read at the time was uh, by Julius Evola, a very right. important mm. Italian Hermeticist, uh, his uh, book Hermetic Tradition kind of really shaped my mind. You know, it's only looking backwards that I connect the dots that when my parents made me sit down at that desk and study really hard. That That led to me being able to then just study equally hard on magic and actually at some point begin to really enjoy it, so that that is a gift you know and even when I look back today in my day job um, as well as my magic, I think the degree to which you can concentrate on a particular subject determines a lot of your success you know because if you if you can't concentrate if you can't go deep if you can't hold your mind still and really penetrate a problem. I think you'll never make it very far in, in whatever intellectual work you're trying to do if that is the, the work that you're in. And that's certainly true for magic. I mean, that's why meditation is so important. That's why training your mind is so important. So uh, in German, we have the uh, wonderful saying that says Lehrjahre sind keine Herrenjahre, which means mm-hmm. while you're a student, don't try to be a master. Um, yes. <laughs> and that, that was def- definitely true, I think, for for my experience. So, kind of by the time I was twenty, I think I had a, a pretty um, broad reservoir of books that I had and studied quite intensely, and and uh, you know almost a little library I would say of work that I had gotten through, and uh, I clearly kind of felt it was time to go deep into practice, and um, you know by good luck or fate, I got to know my teacher. He runs a, a magical school that's called mm-hmm. Uh He's based out of uh, Kempten, which is the very south, south of Germany. And I picked up studies with him. And that, you know, meant the world to me. I mean, he has had such a, a lasting impact on me, I think, as on many other people who studied with him. Uh, I stayed with him for 10 years. And uh, basically, I guess for the first five to six years, I really studied Um, an hour to two hours every day, uh, mostly practically. So I kind of made up for all the theoretic work I had done before and rebalanced that with uh, practical work. Agrippa, that's his kind of pen name, the guy who runs Imbolc, um, he he used to be a lone fighter at the German military, uh, and then he kind of switched professions and got mm-hmm. into magical training. And that is incredibly helpful, um, I think, to the way he teaches magic. There is a, a discipline, again, to the way he teaches magic that just lays incredibly solid and strong foundations. So its it's less about psychologizing magic and talking about magic is really about doing it.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, there's a huge amount of theoretic study that we needed to do. Basically, you, you kind of get a lecture that instructs you on practical work and theoretical work. You work through it in your own terms and then you go and visit his house and you, you do a practical examination and a theoretical examination. Right. Um, so over the course of the 10 years, I probably did, I don't know, 50, 100 uh, kinds of exams. Uh, I, I think I spent more time learning and training for him than I ever did at university. And uh, I think that uh, that was just kind of the best thing that could happen to anybody. The, the thing I should call out maybe is that the way Agrippa teaches magic is entirely by yourself. So there was no, no, um, no kind of group magic involved or, or group practice involved. Okay. Everything was done entirely by yourself on your own. You created your entire environment, like your temple, your paraphernalia, everything needed to be created. It actually takes, I don't know how he changed it maybe since I left, but at the time when I studied with him, it took me three years to even do my first, um, I would say proper ritual, um, because the first three years are just foundation. It's about learning how to breathe, to sit, to focus your mind. It's very extensive, I would think. And when I look at uh, what I see in alternative models of learning magic, I think uh, it's quite unique. So, yeah, I think that uh, did me a lot of good, kind of going that deep and then laying these uh, kind of, I would say, thorough foundations. Right.
3: You mentioned something which I'm interested in. You just mentioned group work, not against, but as opposed to solitary work. And you... Personally, also, if I understood you well, you chose also the solitary working part, or have you also worked in and with groups or even been member? And um, if so, why that choice? And do you see any particularity to that?
5: Well… I think I'm I'm through and through a lone practitioner. Um, I've I've never worked in uh, in groups or with groups, and I, I I don't hold an opinion on whether that's good or bad. It, mm-hmm. it, it just is. It's my path. The the biggest group I've ever worked in is a group of two, <laughs> and that was <laughs> uh, with with a friend when we did some very particular rituals for the German land. Um, mm-hmm. So so that you know I think um, there's there's no value judgment uh, to it, but I'm a strong believer that once you begin your path, and once you make certain choices, in particular in, in magic, you have uh, an obligation and you stay true to it and you follow through on that path. You kind of stay in your lane, uh, you know, if you they say if you want to accomplish mastership, it takes a 100,000 hours of practice. And if you if you constantly change your discipline, or what you're trying to do really well, then I guess you you never get to mastership. So um, uh, that's why I I think staying in your lane is a a good thing.
3: Absolutely. And then from in school or Agrippa's school better, how did it put you further? And what is magic and magical work in your life today?
5: So that's an interesting question. Actually, uh, the, the book that I'm writing on right now is dealing with that chapter in my life as a kind of personal example of a particular kind of magic. I left Imborg after 10 years, um, and the reason why I left it was in, in a pretty extensive write that I did towards the end of that 10 years, I created contact with my, well, what people call holy guardian angel, whatever that is. And that was something that I had worked towards for a very long time. Um, that was something that to me personally was was a very important milestone of my own magical path. And at that point, um, it was just very clear that the role of a teacher and the role of a guide, if you want, would not need to be held by another human being, but that role could now be held by that spirit. Yes. Um, and so I left uh, Imbolc, not because uh, Imbolc would not have been able to offer more, I think I could have stayed another 10 years. Uh, and uh, I guess I was disappointed, because but I got all this work that you still need to do. So there, <laughs> there was plenty of material left for, for me to, to work through. But it just wasn't my, my uh, path uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. Then I began to study uh, on my own um, that Kind of coincides a little bit when I began to be a bit more active online. Um, my first blog was called My Occult Circle, and then later on it became Theomagica.com and uh, i kind of went on in my own explorations ever since a few years later then i also met josephine uh, and we began to talk a lot and exchange ideas a lot i think we have very very different upbringings uh, or uh, in mm-hmm. in magic she and i i think that was uh, incredibly rich that cross-pollination for for her to share her perspective for me to share mine uh, and uh, i think we've we've done really wonderful work together ever since but very fluid you know Uh, not necessarily guided by any structure but really by the work that either of us needed to do in a magical realm
3: yes josephine for our listeners who may be not aware of who we're talking about josephine is josephine mccarthy who you probably you listeners also know by her books and by her uh, different writings and we'll come back to one of the things that you have been doing together lately just in a few seconds but you just mentioned your online work and that you started your first blog when about would that have been how many years ago
5: oh that's a good question i i i will admit i have a terrible memory with these things i i tend to forget these things i i I think it could have been around 2009 or 2010. It was quite interesting, actually. At that point in time, I uh, I uh, did training in Gestalt therapy, which is something that I can wholeheartedly recommend uh, to people who are interested in magic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful balance, and I remember a conversation that we had in that group of learners, um, and we talked about all sorts of things, and I, at that point, said how frustrated I was with my job. My day job because i felt it didn't give me enough creative outlet like i couldn't do enough creative work in that day job then one of the the other members said well you know why why don't you just do something completely different you know your your job doesn't need to be everything like it's not mm-hmm. the uh, the the thing that needs to give complete fulfillment to your life just just introduce another layer do work elsewhere and start it really small especially when she said started really small that was uh, very important for me so i started my first blogging activity in a very playful way, and I had no concept of what I wanted it to be, but I just allowed it to happen. And, and that's something that I've um, hung on to with my online work ever since I've I've no concept in what it needs to be, but I try to keep it incredibly authentic and true to the magical work that I do. And wherever my magical work takes me, uh, my online kind of work then then follows. Um, the the only thing that maybe was really important to me was that everything I do in a magical environment or, or through a magical lens, it cannot have any commercial interest. Yes. So there's no money involved. Everything I offer is for free and needs to remain for free. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether three people look at a blog post or 300, it is what it is. And, and that also remained true for that book that I wrote recently, like the royalties of the books, uh, none of that goes to me. It's uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to mingle and mix uh, commercial interest and and magical interest.
3: Do you think it would if you had? I'm not even saying commercial interest, but if you made an income out of it, do you think it would harm your capacity or what yeah, is it?
5: Yeah, I I think um, you know when I look at the magical scene today, I I see. Um, I see people who started out pivoting on magic. And they're now pivoting on entertainment. And, you know, that that is kind of uh, a little bit of a necessity, I think, over time. If if your income d- begins to depend on the work that you do in a magical yeah. realm, you know, you have to make sure that you cater to your audience and that you, you know, get a certain amount of followers, visitors, you know, paid su- subscribers, whatever it is. So, again, I, I don't judge it. it. It just is. Um Yeah. You know, if, if if your magic becomes a product, if your service becomes a product, then you you need to find customers for that product. That, that doesn't work for me for magic um, yeah. uh, I, I try to earn my living through other means Elifas Levi actually had a very interesting uh, perspective on that I think it was born out of very very painful uh, first hand experience for him he said nobody should have a day job that focuses on magic everybody should have a day job a real life job that kind of helps them grow roots into the real world and be solidly grounded in the everyday world and that then allows you to explore magic through a completely free realm that doesn't constrain you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, look, on the other side, I benefit a lot from people who have turned magic into product. You know, I I buy a lot of books. I I love, you know, to learn from other people. So, again, I'm not judging it, but I'm saying I think there is beautiful value to it if you can keep your magical uh, work free from any commercial interest. Yeah,
3: and it's also nice if you can do it, of course. Uh, Not everybody might be might be in this this situation to be able to do it, right?
5: Well, that that I would disagree on, uh, Rudolf, because that is a choice right i mean sure. we all need to earn our living and and we all have multiple talents so you can apply your talents on whatever you want to then say that you want to apply your your talents on magic and you want to earn your living through that that's a choice right you you that's can true. go yeah. be be a carpenter drive a truck drive a taxi whatever you want so that's a choice and i think yeah. it's a it's a it's a dangerous choice to yeah. make
3: yeah no you're right talking about day jobs we are not going to talk about your day job of course not but I was interested how the compatibility between a magical life and the day job life. How you handle that? How I'm I'm not talking about the separation. I think that's obvious that one wants to do that, but still practically, how do you how do you combine the two? Yourself.
5: I well, mean, not in general. You're yourself. That that is something that I'm still learning on myself. And I have days where I feel I'm compromising my magical work by not, you know, maybe, maybe just working more openly as a magician. Mm -hmm. And then I wake up and I think that's most of the days where I say, no, that is actually exactly the way it should be. You know it, it i think it depends a little bit on what you hope to gain through magic yes. like w- what is your magic actually focused on and for me magic i always practiced magic i think through a very a lens that was focused on theurgy and and sublimation and uh, gaining more knowledge and more and more over time, magic has become a very, very intimate process. Like when you work with certain spirits, you, you mingle your blood with these spirits. You mingle your brain and your DNA with these spirits. Mm-hmm. That is very, very intimate. And when I look at the people around me, at the world around me, to be authentic in what I do I don't need to talk about that. Like, I don't need to speak out about that intimate process. But what I hold a responsibility for is to bring the effect of that magical work through in a very pure way. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whether the people around me know that I've worked with Spirit X or Spirit Z. That doesn't matter. But whatever effect that Spirit had on me, I have a responsibility to channel and bring that through in every situation that I am. Mm -hmm and you know my wife is like she has nothing to do with magic uh, and we've been together for a very very long time and that that doesn't hinder our relationship not at all mm-hmm. because you know, the value of magic is not in doing magic. The value of magic is to see how it enriches your lives or the lives of other people. Mm-hmm. Magic is a function that needs to serve a purpose, and and so whether or not you talk about magic with other people, that that actually might not be the point. The point is how does it change your life? You know, we're yeah. all at the end of the day judged by our actions, and and that's I think what I'm pivoting on. And therefore, you know, I'm I'm actually quite easy most of the times that um, these these two things happen in, in parallel tracks, my, yeah, I would say my day life and my magical life.
3: Yeah. I'm
5: yeah. not sure that makes any sense.
3: Oh, it, it certainly does. And I'm sure it does to many of our listeners as well, who, who might be also involved in, in active work. I think you answered the question very deeply and in a very clear way. Thank you. We go back to the website. I really would like to urge our listeners to go on your actual website, which is called, as you said, Theomagica.com. I'll make sure to put also a link into the show notes of my website myself so that people can find it. I think it's an exciting webpage and also your blog entries there or your writings that you published there, I can only recommend people to go and and read it enjoy. What? What is it to you today? Your website? Is that an important way of communication? Or is it? Yeah, what is it to you today? Theomagic app?
5: my uh, my webpage to me is is a home away from home you know i i, I travel a lot uh in, in my day job mm-hmm. and it uh, when i go on my webpage and you know write certain things with the intent to publish it it centers me it focuses me um uh, i think uh, uh, i'm a rather introverted person so it's it's a creative outlet still but it's also a home away from home to a certain degree it has replaced my magical diary i Still uh, have a magical diary and mostly take notes on. on it's not like full uh, posts, blog posts that I write there, but just notes so that looking back, I can I can connect uh, life events.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: So it's it's an opportunity to reflect out loud, and then you know, while I don't know all the people I interact with on Facebook as persons, I've I've not met many of them in mm-hmm. real life. I feel an incredibly strong and and warmly to, to many of them. It's I think this is the beauty of the time that we live in, that we can have social communities that are actually very virtual. You know, I've um, donated money to uh, people that I've I've never met in real life, but they were in dire situations uh, in in their real life, and uh, we were connected through you know magical interests. And I hope it helped them, you know, on on their path. Uh, so it's also a community space uh, that I I really cherish and. It's an opportunity, I think, for me to give something back for whatever it's worth, right? That's for others to judge, but hopefully it enriches uh, other people's lives.
3: Yeah, well, it certainly does enrich mine, and I I know several people who – who who enjoy your website very much. So I think it's a it's a great place to meet. And as you say, social media, and if I remember, well, you have a menu point on the website called antivenom, which is a, <laughs> a kind yes. of antivenom against what can happen on social media, but they also to me, and I'm sure that's true for many of our listeners are a place to meet with people you would otherwise not be able to meet but then once you met you have to make your own your own path to connecting with them
5: agree fully agree yes
3: yeah last thing before we go into the reason of why we're meeting here today which is your new book Cyprian of Antioch but before that another cooperation you had with the same uh, edition house Korea publishing and and with Josephine McCarthy we already mentioned earlier which is that Korea magical school I had the pleasure to interview uh, Josephine together with my friend Greg Kaminski on Occult of Personality a few months ago, and we spoke extensively about that. But I would be happy to hear from you what this uh, collaboration in this, to me, wonderful, magical course – well, maybe you would like Mm -hmm. to have another, another name for it, which is an online course which now also exists in print, but it's all free online. What did inspire you to do that and what does it mean to you?
5: Well, so Korea, the work behind Correa, um is, is entirely Josephine's work. So yes. I've, I've contributed very little to this. It, it means the world to me. It, it means so much to me um, that, that she has done this incredible amount of work to bring this course through. Um, I mean, everybody who has bought the three hardcover books and just put it somewhere on a shelf, it's only then that you begin to realize the... Gigantic amount of work that she has put into that. Um, it's it's I, I just don't know anything that compares to it. True. And I think Josephine single handedly has brought magic to the 21st century passing around. The virtual realm. Many people, when they speak about bringing magic to the 21st century, they think about technology. They think about how we engage, how we like to learn, you Mm. know, how we like to interact with each other. But that's really not the point. Uh, The point is, you know, stripping magic free of man-made layers that we have outlived. Kabbalah is a great example where you find incredible powerful spirits and patterns bound into it. But you also find a lot of junk that people have just made up over time. And she has, to me, skinned this entire tradition back to something that is real and doable. And it, it all went back, I think, for me, to conversations that Josephine and I had about why so few people actually advance beyond the neophyte stage like so many people dabble in magic and then they drop out. Even when you look at the amount of books, like the majority of the, the books, I would think, you know, are are entry level and very, very few even whole chapters for people who have, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of experience in magic and try to teach them something new. And we, we spoke a lot about, you know, probably the discipline that I had experienced in my magical training and how it had taken me from one step to the next. And we spoke about a lot about Josephine's background in ballet and how you learn ballet and wouldn't it be great if there was a way of learning magic stripped free of man-made layers, full exposure to the spirits from day one that would not require a lot of talent. You know, I think talent is a, is a very easy thing to hide behind, but that just teaches you step to step and all that you need is perseverance, commitment, and and I guess a little bit of grit. And that, you know, that was conversations that we had, I don't know, four years back or so. You know, where my my previous teacher, uh, Agrippa, he was a a lone fighter as the military, as I said, but in spirit, I think he's surpassed by Josephine when you look at her grit and perseverance (laughs) and just her ability to to pull through. Um, So she's just totally nailed it. Now, Look, when you produce a body of work like she has, it will take decades until, you know, enough people have penetrated through the first book, through the second book, the third book, and then actually done some work with it so that they can go back and say, you know, holy shit, this is – Totally inc- incredible the kind of work that you can do with this. So I think, you know, magically, Korea is a call out into the universe, and the first echo I think will come back in 10 years or so. That's the kind of the dimension of the work that I think she's accomplished with that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I fully agree with you. I discovered by pure coincidence if that exists, Korea at a very early stage when it existed only the few first chapters on the internet. And I was fascinated then. And I agree with you, we'll only measure what the two of you have done there in quite a number of years.
5: Yeah. And just to call it out, Rudolf, I even haven't read the course yet. Like right. I, I, right. I started to read the course three times, and I've read several modules in it. But for me, it's too powerful right now. Like mm-hmm. magically speaking, if you click into the career pattern and begin to work with it, there's a lot of magical stuff that happens. Especially if you're. If you're attuned to magic already. And like, I can only speak for myself. I'm not ready for this at this point in my life. I have certain obligations in my life. I've chosen certain commitments, both like real commitments, financial commitments, but Mm -hmm. also uh, spiritual commitments. And I know this course would just hammer me into a version of myself that I'm not ready for yet. I'm quite excited to learn what version that would be. And I, i committed <laughs> that it will happen at some point, but uh, maybe that's an indicator to the power behind the course that at least I see from my end.
3: I understand. Yeah. That's thank you to be very open about that. That's very nice. Thank you. Before we go further in the interview with Frater Acker, let's take a musical break. Canadian musical artist Heather Dale has published a free album for her fans of her Celtic Songs for Modern Dreamers, as she calls it herself. I have put a link to her website where you can get that free album to share with your friends and find more information on her. For that, go on the music page of our website. For now... We are going to hear from that album called Perpetual Gift, her song Mordred's Lullaby. Interpreted by Heather Dale from her album Perpetual Gift. Now let's return to the interview with Frater Acker. At first we are going to discuss his book Cyprian of Antioch. Why this personality seems to get a lot of attention those days. What a Christian saint can mean and teach to someone who is not at all connected to the Christian faith and many other interesting topics. Welcome back, Frater Aker. Well then, Korea Publishing have very recently published your book, Cyprian of Antioch. And I hold it in hands here. And I think it's a fascinating book of about 300 pages about, of course, that Cyprian of Antioch, which I think is also often confused with another Cyprian, but of course, not so much confused in magical communities. So you say in on the very first page of that book that it has been written with the advanced student of Western magic in mind and also to those who's, who know the histories and legends of that Cyprian of Antioch to be familiar to them. So could you maybe give us a bit, for those who are interested and want to get into your book, an idea of who that Cyprian of Antioch was and why he is so important um, to the magical
5: community? okay let me let me try to do this and and I will encourage people to go on the internet and search for themselves. you know there's some brilliant uh podcasts already out there on on Ciprian, um and and other authors who probably give that backstory in a much more elaborate way than I can but uh, Cyprian of Antioch was a pagan sorcerer in the the third and fourth century of our time, and there's a origin story I would call it you know um that tells us that he tried to Uh, lure a virgin, a Christian virgin at the time, her name is Justina, into the love of another pagan man. And um, all the spirit attacks, the demonic attacks that he unleashed on Justina were overcome by her purity and, you know, if you want simplicity of Christian faith, which in the end, the story tells us made him move over to the Christian faith himself, burn all his magical books, and then, you know, they together became very well known in the Christian Christian era um, as uh, two martyrs because at the end they were both beheaded for for their Christian faith. (laughs) So it's it's a conversion story of uh, a pagan becoming a Christian, and I think what he has become known for similar to maybe Faust in the German-speaking countries, he is a patron of magicians. And and that probably is because, you know, the pagan community or maybe the magicians looked at him a little bit like a Trojan horse, you know, like yeah. a, a figure who on the outside converted to Christianity, but on the inside, he actually brought over a lot of magic into a Christian realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, he, you know, maybe he he's a bit of a double agent. Um, uh, but, but I think that's, that's kind of the origin story, um, in a, in a nutshell, really. And, you know, I guess my, my own discovery of Zypon was like many, I guess, listeners to the podcast, you know, through the things that were published ar- on him over the last seven or eight years, really. I don't think that I have a very strong affinity to Christianity, quite the opposite. Uh, I think I have a lot of, problems with the way Christianity um, tries to portray spirituality uh, with a lot of the values and ethics that mm. they promote, uh, in particular, the, the Christian church. And so I found it very interesting because it was uh, absolutely new territory for me. And I followed that. And through that, my own kind of work with the saint began. And, and then I think in in no uncertain terms, I was demanded and kind of I was uh, instructed to kind of uh, get my own stuff down on paper. Which was basically just a lot of leads that I found that nobody had really looked at before, and it was surprising how many there were. And I said, "Where are you? you know, I, I need to work through this in a, in a proper way." First, yeah. I thought it would be a, a blog post or maybe two, and then you know, it was like an avalanche of material that I began to discover. Uh, I would say fifty percent maybe of this has found its way in the book. This, the the, the rest, uh, I, I just didn't have the time to work through everything. So uh, that's that's how my own engagement with it began
3: right well that's exactly what i find interesting i mean you just said that over the last seven or eight years cyprian of antioch has suddenly become somebody in the magical community at least who has had a lot of uh, spotlight on on him and i don't think that has been the case before so do you know what triggered that new interest in or that sudden new interest into him
5: no, no, I, I, I honestly don't know, Rudolf. I, I think you can answer that question on a, on a pragmatic level and look at the the publishing history. I think uh, Jake Stratton Kent's book was absolutely critical for that. Hardian Press and, mm. and Conjure Man uh, published pamphlets even before that. So I think there were some people who were just really on the leading edge around it and, and kind of brought this uh, knowledge back to life. And I'm very, very Grateful to them uh, to bring that back into the public eye. It's like you evoke things from our uh, collective conscious as as a Western tradition, as, as ma- magicians, and you bring it back from slumber into activity. Um, so so and and then on a magical realm, you know, there there seems to be just a stir, and he seems to be ready to engage with a broader audience. What I can say, I think uh, one of the huge benefits of this entire movement and this maybe industry of Cyprian that we've seen come up is that if you look at the years before that, if you look at what happened to Western magic, maybe since the new millennia, you know, I think there was a lot of interest in shamanism and there was a lot of interest in bringing back the understanding of what shamanism is into our own tradition. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of interest in the grimoires as such. And then there was a lot of interest in indigenous religion, especially from the African continent. And then all of that has entirely enriched, I think, the way we, we we are enabled to practice magic in the West. I think it's wonderful. But none of that, none of these movements or trends allowed us to reconnect with our own Christian heritage or mm-hmm. baggage, really. I don't know what it is, heritage or baggage. <laughs> but I think that is what it allowed to me to make sense and, and probably accept my own Christian heritage just because of the land that I live in, the tradition I grew up in, the, the people I'm surrounded by. And it opens access routes into ways and forms of magic that previously Probably have been closed for many people who worked in magic, so that's quite a wonderful thing. I think Cyprian uh, uh, amongst many other things, is a gateway that allows us to work with the Christian saints and with him in particular and rediscover our own Christian heritage in a in a hopefully more positive light
3: yes now. I'm not sure if you are the right person to ask that. And I certainly would not be the right person to be asked because I feel also the same way about about the Christian background or heritage or baggage or whatever you want to call it, like you seem to do. But do you think because of that experience with Cyprian and what he means to the magical context, that there could be... Other discoveries made through him within the community of saints, within those traditions that have shaped the European magical tradition altogether. So beyond Cyprian, are there other figures that we might discover in the near future that have had a similar, created a similar context for, for our magical realm?
5: Yes, that's a, that's a great question, Rudolf. And and I would answer that with a yes and an exclamation mark behind that. You know, for, for the few people who will read the book, actually, and, and maybe for the even fewer people who will read it to the last page, that's where I was led to and where I probably ended my, my own research on the subject. Once you understand how to work with Suprian as an example of a saint, you can work with any saint. Mm-hmm. And so, Today, when you know when I go into, say, Catholic Church, of which we have many beautiful old ones here uh, in, in in Europe, I'm surrounded by gateways that I probably didn't know how to access before. Mm-hmm. Now I don't want to access all of them because it's not necessarily the kind of magic that I'm inclined to do, or or not currents that I want to connect with. But I, I would turn that question around and, and not ask, "Well, could there be another one?" Uh, I would say, "Well, now you have the." pain of choice, Qual der Wahl, we say Mm -hmm, in German. mm -hmm. Now you have the pain of choice because you could work with any saint in a similarly powerful way. You know, saints really are thresholds to um, all sorts of spiritual powers. And once you learn how to work with these thresholds, how to activate them, how to bond with them, you can do all sorts of magic.
3: Yeah. So they are kind of an expression of a magical Path to a different pair of glasses somehow.
5: Yes, yes, and I think there there are two essentially different ways in how you can engage with the saints, and and one is probably pretty well known, and and uh, actually even promoted by the church at least during some centuries, and that's as a person who's devoted to that saint so you take a slightly more passive approach towards that spiritual threshold and you power it up with your own energy you know yeah. you feed it with your prayers with uh you know whatever it is uh, you, you yeah. through that lens you can look at the saint almost as a, a morphic field or an egregore or you know whatever you want to call that a pattern that does certain things for you ideally if you feed it well enough now that. Feeding is quite the spiritual process in itself because it's it's way more complex, I think, than people anticipate. You know, when you think of demonic pacts, that's a stereotypical collective memory that we have of what it means to truly bond with the spirit. But, but in a way, you know, working with a saint for... Years in your life, like many authentic Catholic practitioners would have done, it resembles that in a in a strong way. So feeding that is a mutual process. You know, you 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 really begin to blend with that being. So that's one way. Mm -hmm. The other way of working with it is more like an equal. It's more like a magician who approaches the saint. As someone who's on eye level with them, so it's it's a collaboration, it's a co-creation. It is not the way of approaching that saint in a devoted way, but as a partner, and together you can do some work together. That's a very very different way of approaching the saint um, or the saints, and and superion certainly. And in my book, I trying to explain and i'm trying to highlight why that letter way of approaching Cyprian is a way smarter approach. And uh, <laughs> while it might not yield as immediate results, when you look at the nature of this uh, this saint of Cyprian, or former saint, we should really say, I think there are good reasons of why not to take an approach as a person who's devoted, but as a partner who take res- takes responsibility for the process just as much as the spirit on the other side.
3: Right. That's interesting. We, of course, don't want to give away too much of the book because, well, you just questioned how many people actually read it. I think there are more than you would actually expect. (laughs) but And I cannot imagine that once you got it in hands that you wouldn't read it to the last page. What I like about the book so much is that it... It's very comprehensive. You know, you said there were some books that have been published and articles and Cyprian is a bit not a fashion, but it's been a bit of a movement like that. And, but this, your book seems to me it brings together so many strains of the story that have been worked on lately. And was that your intention or is it, did it just happen?
5: I would say when I started the book originally, it was a pure matter of research and, and I, I didn't have an intent at that point. Uh, it started with bringing together the material and pulling on, on a lot of strings and seeing where it would lead me. Once I had the first few chapters down, I, I slowly began to realize what it was. And I think you can read that book on two levels, well, probably more, but uh, two, two levels are front of my mind. There's a level where you just expose yourself through the content, uh, to the content that I'm sharing. So you're just learning about, you know, things you didn't know about Cyprian, the way uh, he he might be connected to certain history events. um, And uh, you just learn about his tradition. Mm -hmm. That's a very factual way of approaching the book. I think there's also a magical level or more magical level, where you take the book as a record of event of how Cyprian taught me how to engage with him. And on that level, I hope that my engagement with Suprion as expressed in that book, can be a blueprint for other people to do their own work with Suprion or other saints. So, you know, as you... In reading that book, Follow My Own Footsteps and How Cyprian Led Me to Better Understand Him as a Spiritual Being, hopefully you can see how you can do that own work for yourself. Right. So, you know, all all these scattered things that you find when you expose yourself to a certain spirit, you know fragments of books and stories and suddenly you hear a podcast that connects to it, etc. You can tie all of that together in your own journey and in your own life journey with that spirit. And and that was my uh, intent, I guess, on a magical level to be very authentic and very real in sharing my own journey into that spirit and with that spirit. And by seeing that, hopefully inspiring slightly more non-traditional forms of working with Suprian. Like you you don't need to wear your robe pull out your sword and or you don't need to light a candle in front of your Cyprian wax figure or whatever it might be your candle you know you Mm -hmm. like magic can work on entirely inner realm. and uh, I was hoping to inspire that so if you want through that lens I I would call that book a magical ritual in itself but it's open to the reader on on which level they want to read it
3: right which makes a good book when you can read it on different levels do you Oh that's right yeah yeah sure <laughs> would you be able or want to say on what level did he uh, inspire you at first what was the what was the reason to to go there uh, how did he talk to you in the first place or is that not possible for you to say it
5: Oh, yeah, I I, I can say, uh, I think I can say that quite clearly. And that's something that I really learned uh, in, in my conversations and partnership with Josephine, uh, kind of to respect and to understand. when When such a spirit interaction begins outside of a facilitated process, like outside of doing an actual ritual, but if a spirit just approaches you out of the blue, I don't think that we on the human level it's not a decision, you know. It's not a conscious process. Like Cyprian doesn't come around knocking on your door and say, "Hey, can I work with you?" <laughs> um, you you stumble across leads and links, and you need to decide whether you're ready to follow or not. Yeah. It's like it's like this: this the spirit offers themselves up to you, and you need to be okay to follow or not. So, it, it, when I started the work on this book, it was. A process of going with with the process that I didn't control. Mm. I I just followed the lead of or the breadcrumbs, if you want, uh, that Cyprian put in front of me, and that I think takes quite a lot of humbleness, and it takes a lot of being okay. Not knowing where this journey will lead you, and staying in a state of being entirely open to what you'll find. Like had had I set out on this journey saying, "Okay, this needs to be a book, and it needs to be published in 2017, etc." I think I would have killed the process from the get-go. I had no idea yeah. where this would lead. Um, I've I've actually written several books that wait on a shelf because they're not ready for being published and that's perfectly fine so i think in that in, in that way of approaching it in, in especially in the initial stages you're a pretty small cock in a bigger machinery that turns and turns and you just need to be okay with that
3: yeah well we'll come to the question of future projects very soon but before that i wanted to talk to you about some particular question and your opinion on that this podcast i created also for the reason that I live in Austria, as you know, and we live both in a bit of the same area where lots of magical traditions over the centuries have been created and have have existed. And today, and I'm very happy about that, that somebody keeps up the light also on the other side of the ocean and also three quarters of the listeners of this podcast live in North America, even though I especially say I want to do a European type of podcast with talking about European traditions, etc. So how much is magic and the way that you do magic, have learned magic, have learned about magic, influenced by geography by traditions of areas you come from or is to you magic rather something completely beyond that what you have in your surroundings uh, personally how would you locate that is is magic mm. a tradition that comes to you because of the place you are or because of the way you are
5: that's a great question well, that's a really good question i would probably answer that and say if you practice magic that is completely disconnected from the place that you live in and has no ties into the reality around you, you're doing magic in a bubble mm-hmm. um, now sometimes if you do that deliberately that can be great and and powerful but I would think that in most cases it's an oversight mm-hmm. and that is actually something that I think uh Karea and Josephine are so amazing in really portraying to you and helping you overcome. You know, when Aaron Leach uh, published his book on the grimoires and and really kind of recreated that tie between shamanism and the Western tradition, yeah. um I think that's a powerful link to bring back. And and it's actually quite simple. You know, just go out and speak to the beings that are around you in that very real world that you live in. And then look for the intersections between what you learn from these beings and what you've learned about magic and theory before. And that's, you know, your your path of practice right in front of you. So I I can say that my magic over the last I'd say seven years or so is entirely focused on the place that I live in and the place Mm -hmm. that I spend time in is very, very connected to the German land. It's very connected to the damage that happened to this land uh, through the the two world wars. And and it's an effort to, well, I wouldn't, I I think it would be way too much to say to heal the land because a single person won't do that. But, you know, every one of us can contribute to that. However, the techniques that I use and the way in which I go about this – should be applicable elsewhere as well. Yeah. It's just like with anthropology. You know, you an anthropologist goes out and studies a certain tribe and they learn very specific things about that tribe. But at the same time, they refine their techniques and methods. And you should be able to take these techniques and methods and apply it in your own journeys when you go out and study another tribe. So there is a very strong localized, I would say, uh, aspect to the actual practice my practice um and then hopefully there's a very universal aspect to the underlying techniques and patterns
0: mm-hmm.
3: very interesting
5: yeah i also remember in one of the first
3: chapters of korea Josephine speaks about that about that you have to get to know the place you live and what happened there over the last few centuries i mean very locally she says that not not talking about european history but you're t- town's history basically and i think she's very she's very right about that you just said something about healing healing the past in that case and do you think that with your work as a magician or magicians in general can they also help i'd like to say influence the future but what i mean by that is we live in a time that seems to be very a lot of upheaval around us and a lot of aggression going on, etc. Do you think that kind of healing can also apply to the present and therefore have consequences for the future?
5: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if if we can't make an impact on the world through our magic what's what's the magic worth anyway That's right what i, I to hear think you see. <laughs> yeah uh, i think there is a uniqueness though um you know there might be magicians out there who are so attuned to what happens on the political landscape etc that you know they they find ways of using their magic to influence that and i you know respect that i adore that i i I personally can't do that. I'm not probably uh, enough of a political person myself. My healing and my magic is more focused at the land itself and the spirits of the land. Mm -hmm. What this will contribute to in the long term, I have no idea, but I... I began to realize the patterns that were broken and maybe off balance is particular since the world wars uh, in, in Germany. Hmm. And I think it takes very heavy lifting on the mag- magical side to mend and fix some of these patterns again to create a better a better ground for, a better habitat for the spirits and for us in this particular place on the globe. So mm-hmm. I think that's enough for me, right? If I can contribute a little bit to this, um, then then that's brilliant. Uh, and, you know, if, if everybody does that on the place uh, that they that they live in, I think we, we can contribute a lot to the environmental disaster that's happening to this planet right now. Yeah. You just need to be okay that you don't start your action in the center of the storm but that you work from the periphery yeah working magic with spirits um in this case it might look unconnected to global warming etc but it's not you just need to trust and pull on that threat a little longer before you begin to see the connections
2: Mm -hmm.
3: very interesting yeah thank you well fraker um you said you had several books not ready to be published on your shelf is there any? project you would like to talk about or something that might come on our shelves at some point soon? Is there anything you would like to mention?
5: Uh, well, uh, it's probably a little bit early uh, mentioning that because similarly to uh, the, the work with Suprian, you know, I, I think I, I could spend a long time working on a book and possibly even finishing it uh, just to then decide not to publish it. So <laughs> when any of this work might arrive on anybody else's shelf, uh, that I don't know. But uh, at least I think the decision um, that I've taken for myself is that a lot of the work that I'm currently doing and have been doing over the last month, I'm not publishing um, on theomarca.com. I'm not publishing it as as blog posts, but I'm I'm, I'm saving it and I'm allowing it to form a body of work that then hopefully can come out. Um, Specifically, I think there are two things. I've been um, working on a a series of novels, actually, um, Mm -hmm. that uh, over the last... Ten years probably and the the first one is fully done the second one is probably eighty percent done it, uh, it's probably a pretty stupid undertaking as a German to write a, a novel in English if you if you don't speak it as well uh like a native speaker especially for a novel where you you know <laughs> need to uh, be a master of the language really but these are magical novels and um I only develop my English writing voice through. Theomagia.com. So I can't really write in German. I can only write in English. Um, So I I wrote these novels with a magical intent. It tells a mythical story that I'm personally working with, um, which is why they're not ready for being published, because it's too raw. It's too much of my own story at the moment, Mm. Uh, although not my own story, but the work that I'm connected to. So that, I think, is simmering away in my magical kitchen and uh, will will need to be finished over the, the coming years. And then the other piece of work that I'm involved in is a book on the Holy Guardian Angel, which I will definitely not call Holy Guardian Angel Uh in the book, uh, because I think it has way too many stereotypes attached. Yeah but that um concept is so central to the work that i've been doing in my life in magic and when i look at the body of work that's published out there on it uh, there's some great material and there's some not so great material in my eyes and and there's some gaps and uh and links i think that i could be helped making um, or filling so i'm i'm i think i have about 200,000 words or so written on that, and we'll see where that goes. Um, But but that is a project that I'm currently excited about and spending a lot of time on.
3: Well, we are looking forward to that. Uh, Personally, I'm a big fan of good magical novels, but there are, to my sense, very few good ones around. So I'm very much looking forward to hopefully hold your magical novel in hand one day soon.
5: Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I think we have a beautiful tradition of uh, fantastic and uh, magical novels in the German speaking uh, countries. You know, we have. Gustav Myring and uh, yeah. even foreign authors like Maria Sheppes—it's uh, uh, it's a standing tradition.
3: Absolutely, Myring is one of my favorites, and he's one of the oh. examples I give when I talk about tradition coming of this part of the world. And I think uh, I'll one day do one podcast just with people talking about Myring here.
5: Ah, uh, brilliant! Brilliant. Well, Frater Acker.
3: Is there anything that we missed on, on uh, that you would like to add to what we were talking about today? Here, is there anything which is important to you that we didn't touch?
5: Maybe just one thought, Rudolf. And going back to the book on on Supriyan, the one thing that really kind of I really realized through writing that book and and diving deep into that spirit work with Siprian, the best way, or maybe the best metaphor that I could find to describe the ways in which Siprian can work with us is is as a poison. And, you know, there's this beautiful saying of Paracelsus that the doses mm. makes the poison. And that is something really, really, I think, important to understand, not only understand it conceptually, but understand the reality of it, understand how it will affect your physical body. I would encourage readers to follow that lead or listeners to follow that lead of uh, magic as a poison. There is so much power that's waiting for us there, but it will also take so much responsibility and accountability for our own actions. I think there is very little place in magic for empathy as it's promoted through a christian lens you know Mm. um there's there's very little space for being emotional or romantic uh, about things you know you need to be quite factual and precise about the work that you do just like you know an alchemist would have needed to be in their laboratory right um you need to be very precise with the fire and the ingredients that you use so that would be one thing I would call out, and I hope to shed a bit more light on on that in the book. But it's it's something that is is easily forgotten. I feel.
3: Yes, I think that's a very important point because magic and all the spiritual work that goes with it is not always just nice and easygoing and and positive. It needs strength. It needs tough decisions
5: sometimes. Wouldn't you agree? Wonderful. Agrees well. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well,
3: Fred Rager, thank you then. It was wonderful to pass that hour in your company and have all your deep insight and ideas that we shared. Thank you so much. I was very happy to have you on this show. And I'm sure so were our listeners. And thank you for taking your time and uh, for being with us.
5: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.
3: I hope you enjoyed this talk with Frater Acker as much as I did. I personally think that he is one of the most interesting magicians and occultists of this young generation, especially here on the European continent. If you want to know more, once again let me remind you his website theomagica.com, that's a direct link can be found in the show notes on the Thoth Hermes website, as always. There, I will also give you the necessary information on how to get his book and some other interesting links. As those of you who are regular listeners here know, this is not the end of the episode but we will continue with our news and then the review section. But before that, I would like to play for you one other piece of music. A classic from 1991 by Gypsy from her album Enchantress. The track is called Magic. Magic. From the album Enchantress by Gypsy. The News Back in June this year, I presented to you a short interview with Laurie Pneumaticos about her work and especially about the St. Louis International Left Hand Path Consortium 2018 which is going to take place from Friday, July 13, onwards. I promised to Laurie that I would keep you, dear listeners, updated on how this is coming along, and as it looks now, the conference is very promising. Among the confirmed speakers and performers, we find Gray Williams, Dave Smith, Bill DuVendak, Humberto Maggi, Thomas Carlson to name just a few there is now a brand new website which gives you all the necessary information you find that on www.lefthandpassstl.com that's lefthandpassstl for st louis but all stuck together Also, some funding is still needed, so if you want to subscribe or donate or book your participation, you will find not only the link to that website, but also to a funding page on the Thoth Hermes website. Looks very interesting, so if you have a chance to be around St. Louis in mid-July next year, and you want to know more or are already an adherent of the left-hand path, Don't miss that one. I have been following the Southern California Research Lodge's work for some time. It is a Masonic body whose mission is, as they say, to restore Masonic education and observant practices as a way to expand knowledge of Masonry's history, traditions, symbolism, Spiritual and moral teachings and best practices through producing and disseminating written, oral and ritual presentations. You should really have a look on their website. They also monthly publish a magazine called Fraternal Review, in which I have often found very interesting and eye-opening articles. A few days ago they issued the December volume, and it is called The Force and the Light. And it presents the philosophy of Star Wars under the light of Masonic knowledge. Let me read to you a few lines from the introductory text to it. May the Force be with you is familiar to anyone who has seen a Star Wars movie. It is a sentiment expressed when friends depart. It encourages someone in impending danger. Obi-Wan Kenobi explains the Force to Luke in the first Star Wars movie released as follows. The Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. Quantum physics is based on the theory that everything is energy. Matter is simply energy interacting in a fashion that makes it appear to us humans as something solid. Quantum physics also provides evidence that energy on a quantum level observes certain rules. If energy is disturbed, it will return to harmony with those rules. Pythagoras made a similar observation on a cosmic level 2,500 years ago. He described it as the music or harmony of the spheres. No matter how violent nature becomes, it will always return to harmony. Perhaps not the old harmony, but something in equilibrium. Hellenistic Jews and early Christians described this as the Logos, translated as the word in the opening of St. John's Gospel. That harmonizing force which the Creator sends to the creation to bring it back into harmony. By geometry we may curiously trace nature through her various windings to her most concealed recesses. Geometry measures harmony and therefore becomes not only the symbol of that harmony but the symbol of the source of that harmony, which we Masons describe as the Supreme Being. What do we do with this wisdom about harmony and the Force? Again, Obi-Wan Kenobi shows the way in exhorting Luke when his father, Darth Vader, attacks. Use the Force, Luke. Let go, Luke. Luke. Trust me, let go, trust, harmony will prevail, if we let it. I think this is fascinating. Even if it was clear to me that Masonry and Star Wars, as well as Star Trek, by the way, share many common ideas, it was never so clearly observed and also commented like in this issue of fraternal review. So I really think Masons and Star Wars fans alike should get a copy. It's really a great read and gives you a lot to think about. You can subscribe to online or print versions of the review on theresearchlodge.com, all in one word. That is theresearchlodge.com.
1: books and other reviews.
3: Today I would like to introduce you to a very special book. It is called Alchemically Stoned, The Psychedelic Secret of Freemasonry, and has been written by P. D. Newman, who is himself a master mason and a 32nd degree mason from North Mississippi. Now, You have probably heard about all kinds of rumours regarding Masonic secrets, and if you are a Mason yourself, you know what the Masonic secret really means. But psychedelic secret? That sounds new to many of us. Well, Brother Newman starts from one of the very important symbols used in Freemasonry worldwide, the sprig of acacia, and he tells us that this tree contains DMT. Taking it from there, this book tells us all about the vast usage of entheogens, plant entheogens as opposed to artificial drugs, within the spiritual realms and, of course, also within Freemasonry. It is a fascinating story that P. D. Newman takes us on. From Count Colliostros Misraim rite through the Mysteries of Eleusis, from the Rosicrucians to the masonically-inspired orders of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Brother Newman speaks about those substances with a certain authority. He has studied, and where legally possible also practiced, the use of entheogens and their roles in different cultures, religions and indigenous societies. This book is an exciting tour through the history of Masonry up to our days on a special subject that I also admit was completely new to me. But when you know what, for example, certain kinds of frankincense used in churches and religious rites can have by opening your consciousness, It seems obvious that the clearly defined use of those aethyogenes substances triggers new spiritual experiences, and this also in masonry. It gives indeed a completely new meaning to the symbol of the acacia. This book opens new territory. It is very well written and could be a perfect gift for any mason who is spiritually interested and may have already so many books about the craft, there is a chance that this subject would also be new to him. And as author P.D. Newman puts it himself in the first chapter of this book, the reader is asked to maintain an open, if skeptical, mind. Very interesting read indeed, Go and get it. This brings us to the end of today's episode of the Thor's Herbies podcast. Thank you for listening to us again. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Frater Acker and all the other content that I was able to present to you today. This was episode two of our season two. Our next episode will again introduce you to a young esotericist from Europe. This time, we will feature a lengthy interview with English hermeticist, author, and meditation specialist Martin Fawkes. And the interview will be a kind of special format. I wish that Those of you on the Northern Hemisphere can make good use of the dark hours and the long evenings we have here at the moment. Let yourself not be taken in by the stress that others want to impose on you through the holiday season, but let yourself have a calm and thoughtful time. Those on the Southern Hemisphere enjoy summer, and also a festive season in a way that we northerners have a hard time to imagine how it feels and looks and talking about the southern hemisphere australian singer and songwriter wendy rule is joining me to wish you a nice time until our next show when i will be meeting you again take care Stay tuned. Hear you soon.